Good morning, crowd family. Happy, happy Sunday. So glad you can join us today. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're now in chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and now in part 18 of our series, Undivided. Uh, now, before we dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, which was all of chapter 8, and Paul's focus in that whole chapter was on Christian liberty. And there in Corinth, there arose the problem of meat offered to idols, and the Corinthian church had a question for Paul. Is it okay? Is it right? Is it permissible? Do we have the liberty to eat meat which was sacrificed to idols? And this became a point of controversy and, and contention between the believers in Corinth. And this is what we call a gray area. This was a gray area. Uh, there was really no clear command about this in Scripture. Now, what Paul does is he addresses the stronger believer, but he's um, principally talking about the weaker believer. And before Paul even answers their question, he first wants them to check their, their hearts before they get to the answer. Now, instead of talking about food, Paul first talks about knowledge and love. And you see, there were strong believers who were advanced in doctrine, advanced in biblical knowledge, who knew that idols were nothing, and meat sacrificed to idols was, was still good meat. And they understood their rights, listen now, their rights to Christian liberty, and insisted upon eating the meat, not giving into any superstitious beliefs about idols. Now, remember, the problem... Uh, with these strong, knowledgeable believers was that they became proud of their knowledge and therefore boasted of their Christian liberty. Look at verse 1 real quick here. Paul writes, we know that we all possess knowledge. Then he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. In other words, if, if your knowledge of God's Word causes you to love God and, and causes you to love others, then that's accurate knowledge, the kind that leads to love. You see, Paul is simply telling these strong believers, you might have great knowledge. Okay, you might have great knowledge, but your knowledge must be balanced by what? Love. By love. And the stronger believers knew that there was only one true God. They knew that one true God, that an idol is nothing and, and meat is just meat. So who cares? Just, just eat it. Just eat it. But not everyone had that knowledge. And many new believers in in the, the Corinthian culture, uh, had not arrived to this level of maturity with full assurance that meat offered to idols is nothing. And you see, so for the new believer, the one with a weak conscience to eat meat would be to defile, literally soil, soil that conscience before God. But, but look what Paul says in verse 8. But food does not bring us near to God. Did you get that? We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. So Paul's saying you're not benefited one way or another before God, whether we eat or you eat certain foods or not. But he says this, you must beware lest your liberty, Paul says, becomes a stumbling block to another believer. Look at verse 9, be, be very careful, be careful, so you be careful, however, speaking to the strong believers, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So Paul gave them one rule, one rule to follow in determining whether or not they should do certain things that are not spelled out as right or wrong in the Scriptures. Don't do it, Paul says, if doing it will cause your brother or sister in Christ to stumble. You see, our freedom in Christ, friends, comes with a responsibility to protect the welfare of the Christian community. 
In verses 11 and 12, Paul says to make a brother, says to make a brother or sister in Christ stumble violates the body of Christ of which you are a part of. You're not just only sinning against your brother or sister in Christ, but you're also sinning against Christ, Paul says. And then verse 13, Paul writes, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, listen to what he says, I will never eat meat again, wow, so that I will not cause him to fall. Paul's saying we need to love others more than our liberties because love is, is willing to sacrifice its own rights for the sake of others. Real freedom, real freedom involves the responsibility of love. And Paul, Paul's point is you're free as a believer, as a Christian, you're free to partake in your freedoms, in your Christian liberties, but you're always bound to love your brother and sister in Christ. This now brings us to today's text and the title of my message is Running to Win. Say that, Running to Win. Here in the text, chapter 9, Paul continues to illustrate the very principles that he illustrated in chapter 8 of the mature use of Christian liberty. And you see here in chapter 9, Paul was free, listen now, Paul was free to receive financial support from the Corinthian church, but he set aside that right. He set aside that right in order to achieve a higher goal. Four points from today's text. If you're ready, say yes. Come on, if you're ready, say yes. Here we see, in the text, here we see Paul, number one, here we see Paul, number one, defending his rights. Write that down, defending his rights. Then we look at verse one, and Paul writes, Am I not free? Now, just because he, he chose, listen, just because he chose not to exercise his Christian liberty didn't mean that he wasn't free to use his rights. Then he goes on to say, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And we know, friends, right, that one of the qualifications of an apostle was to have what? Seen the resurrected Christ. And he did. Paul did in his conversion experience in Acts chapter 9. Remember that? Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. Notice then that he then refers to another qualification of his leadership. He says, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Listen, the very existence and the fruit of the church in Corinth authenticated Paul's apostolic ministry. You see, friends, you can determine whether or not a person is called into the ministry by observing how God is using that person in the lives of the people they're ministering to. And there should be evidence of fruit, okay, evidence of healthy fruit. So we have a lesson here, and the lesson is this. Are you ready? Here's the lesson. Fruit don't lie. Fruit don't lie. Write that down. Fruit don't lie. Listen, if, if there's legitimate and healthy fruit being manifested through a person's ministry, then that's evidence of that person's gifting from God for that ministry. On the other hand, if there's not a quality of fruit in the lives of those being ministered to, then that person should realize that they may not be called to that ministry. And I got to tell you, friends, I have known people who, for some reason, got the notion that they were called to a certain ministry. 
And, and then for many years, they continued in that ministry in spite of the complete lack of, of evidence that they were gifted or being used in that ministry. Not so with Paul. Paul was gifted, and the fruit of his ministry in Corinth was evidence of his, what, calling. Look at verse 2. Stay with me now. Verse 2, even though Paul writes, I may not be an apostle to others, there were those around that just did not believe he was an apostle. He says this, surely I am to you. Okay, he's speaking of the Corinthian believers there. Surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So the Corinthian believers shouldn't question his apostleship since he had planned the church, since he had led many of them to Jesus Christ, and also that he trained the leadership in the church. Now, the Greek word for seal there is sophagus. Sophagus. It means a visible proof, a confirmation, or authentication of something that already exists. It means a visible proof of confirmation or authentication of something that already exists. And you see, the founding of the church in Corinth was evidence of Paul's genuine apostolic activity. And what Paul's essentially saying is, you guys are the seal, the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. You guys prove the genuineness of my apostolic ministry. Verses 3 through 6. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Listen, not only was Paul's apostleship being called into question, so were his rights and his actions as an apostle. So what, so what he does now is he asserts his rights as an apostle. Look at verse 4. Don't we have the right to food and drink? What he's saying is they have the right to receive support from the church he founded. Verse 5. Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? So, we know that Paul was not married at this time when he wrote this. He was not married, uh, but he's trying to make a point here. And he's talking about the apostles who were married and the Lord's brothers and Cephas who were married, and they were supporting not only them, but their spouse and their families. And Jesus' brothers here, perhaps, were James and Jude, who were obviously married. And then Paul, right, in the, in, in the text, Paul mentions Peter, who was obviously married. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, verse 30, it says that, it talks about that Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. So if Peter had a mother-in-law, then Peter was married. Peter was married and yet still considered, listen now, by the Roman Catholic Church to be the first pope, which is in contradiction to the principle of mandatory celibacy. I'm just saying, okay? Verse 6, Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? The fact that Paul and Barnabas didn't take advantage of their right to the support of the churches could be taken to mean that others saw them as not real apostles. So, so what Paul does next is he defends the, the legitimate right to be supported by those he ministers to. Look at verses 7 through 10. Verses 7 through 10. He writes this, 
He says this, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat his grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? I want to stop there, friends. Paul's saying the soldier is paid to fight. The vineyard owner gets to eat of the fruit of his vineyard. And the one who tends the flock gets to drink milk from the flock. Let's continue to read verse 8. Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law, this is what he says, doesn't the law say the same thing? Verse 9, for it is written in the law of Moses. And here what he does, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. And he writes this, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Verse 10, Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes. This was written for us because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing, listen, in the harvest. See, Paul's right for financial support is stated in the Mosaic Law. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Listen, when you hitch up an oxen to walk through the reaped kernels of wheat to break up the grain and separate the chaff from the wheat, God wanted, listen now, the oxen to not be muzzled so the oxen could keep feeding itself while it worked. And Paul's point is that God didn't give this law for the sake of the oxen because oxen can't read. God gave this law to set up a principle, listen now, a principle that it's proper for the person who works to be paid. To be paid. Verses 11 through 12a, stay with me now. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? So, so I want to stop there. This verse implies that there is a condition uh, which must be met before you support Christian workers, and that is that they must sow spiritual things and actually produce a valuable result among God's people. There must be fruit. Got it? Verse 12a. If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? So, so as an apostle... And as, a, as the founding pastor of the church of Corinth, Paul had even more of a claim on their support than others did. But notice what he says, and that brings us to point number two, is surrendering his rights. Defending his rights, number two, is surrendering his rights. Surrendering his rights. Look at verse 12b with me, 12b. But we did not use this right. Did you get that? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, Paul says, on the contrary, we put up with anything rather than, than hinder the gospel of Christ. I'm going to read that again because I want you to get that. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. So right here, you can really see Paul's heart here. You can hear his heart. Okay? Paid or not paid, it didn't matter to Paul. What mattered to Paul was the work of the gospel. I mean, was it more effective for the gospel if Paul should receive support? Huh? Well, then he would receive it. Was it more effective for the gospel if Paul should work to support himself? Then he would do that. And guess what? He did. Paul was a, a tent maker. 
And what mattered to Paul was that the gospel, listen, with the gospel, uh, was that the gospel not be hindered in any way. Love that. Verses 13 and 14. If you're still with me, say amen. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? I want to stop there because under the law of Moses, the priests and the Levites did the work of maintaining the temple and performing the sacrifices, and they were paid for what they did. They were paid a portion of what was sacrificed. Verse 14, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel, get this, in the same way, referring back to verse 13, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel, say preach the gospel, should receive their living from the gospel. And this is probably a reference to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. Write down Matthew chapter 10, verse 10. Matthew 10, verse 10, and Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Luke 10, verse 7, where he says, The laborer is worthy of his hire. Okay? In 1 Timothy chapter 5, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18, Paul writes this. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Then he says in verse 18, For Scripture says, and what he does, he quotes the Old Testament again, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. And he says this, And the worker deserves his wages. Verse 15, But I have not used any of these rights. Did you get that? I have not used any of these rights. And I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die. This is what he says. I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Again, Paul had the right, say the right, the right to be supported by the church. But he didn't use that right. He surrendered his rights. Now listen, his boasting wasn't that he preached the gospel. Rather, friends, his boasting was that he was able to do it without asking for support. Got it? You got it? Say got it. Verse 16. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast. Now, I love this. For I am compelled to preach. Then he says this, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Man, that's awesome. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So this is clear that there was a call from God on Paul's life to preach the gospel. And that's back in Acts chapter 9, after his experience on the road to Damascus. In, verses, in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 through 16, God called Ananias to go find Paul and to pray for Paul. And at that time, Paul was commissioned. And from that moment on, he had faithfully followed Jesus and preached the gospel. Got it? Now, this was, listen, this wasn't Paul's choosing. This wasn't Paul's desire. I mean, Paul was climbing up the ladder of success with the Pharisees when Jesus interrupted his life and changed his plans. By the way, God has editing rights to your life, and he had editing rights to Paul's life. You see, preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel was something Paul was called to do. It was a calling he was called to do. He had to do it. 
He was compelled to fulfill that call. And because he was compelled to fulfill that call, he couldn't stop sharing the gospel. Jeremiah tried to stop speaking for God once. And in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, write that down, Jeremiah 20, verse 9, Jeremiah writes this, But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in, weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. And Paul couldn't hold it in as well. And Paul had a sense of necessity from God that he must preach the gospel. And how I wish, man, how I wish we all felt that more often we are compelled to share the gospel. Are you? Are you compelled to share the gospel? Does it burn up within your heart, in your life, to share the gospel? Verse 17. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. And we'll see what the reward is in the next verse. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What Paul's basically saying here is that if this was my own idea, my own idea of just another way to make a living, I'd expect some pay. But since, Paul's saying, but since it's not my idea, but something entrusted to me, why would I expect to get paid? Paul says, I will still do it. I will still do it because that is what I'm called to do. Now, I want to say this. I just kind of want to park it here real quick here and say this, that being a pastor, because, you know, we're talking about pastors and how they're supported. Being a pastor is not easy. Is it a joy? Yes. But it's work. It's a labor of love, but nonetheless, it's, it's, it's labor. And sometimes uh, there are those who, who make the ministry difficult. Just being honest, there are those who make the ministry difficult. They, they complain, they, they criticize, they nitpick about everything in the church. And then there are also difficult situations that we as pastors have to handle. And not to mention, friends, that as pastors, we have a higher accountability to God and a more stricter judgment than you. James 3.1, James chapter 3, verse 1 James writes this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Here's a lesson. Well, the lesson, here's a lesson. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. We need your prayers. Pastor Joy, Joey and I, we need your prayers. It's not easy shepherding the flock, especially right now with COVID, with all that's going on. And, you know, it's not easy. I mean, we're, we're human. We get tired. We, we're weak at times. Uh, we go through struggles and temptations. We're human. We need your constant prayers. So make sure that you take time to pray for your pastors. And I, I want to thank for those of you that really take the time of your schedule to pray for myself and, and Pastor Joey. 
Verse 18, what then is my reward? Here it goes. Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not to make use of my rights in preaching it. So in Paul's day, like, like today, there were a lot of pastors, ministers, who are preaching to get money. And we see that today, don't we, man? We see that today. Just turn on the TV. There's a lot of preachers out there just preaching, and all they want is your money. They just want your money. And Paul was happy to distance himself from these individuals by never taking an offering so no one would think he might abuse his authority in the gospel. This was Paul's reward. So here in the text, we see Paul defending his rights, surrendering his rights, and number three is winning souls. Write that down, winning souls. Winning souls. And here, write that down, winning souls. Here, Paul reveals exactly how to do that. And I love that about Paul. He shows us exactly how to do that. He he was determined to reach those he encountered regardless, regardless of their background, regardless of their standing. So I want you to follow me here. Let's read verses 19 all the way through verse 22. If you're ready, say yes. Here we go. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win, to win. Here's the reason why. To win as many as possible. Verse 20. To the Jews, I love this, to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under what? The law. I want to stop there. In Paul's day, there were, there were still many Jews who sought to hold the traditions and rituals of the law. Now, Paul didn't live contrary to God's law, but living under grace, he was no more bound by the law. Got it? However, if keeping a ritual or tradition that wasn't contrary to Scripture, okay, would help Paul reach a Jew, then Paul became as a Jew. He was a Jew anyways, but he came as a Jew. He wasn't afraid to submit to their demands to reach them. Verse 21, To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, speaking of God's moral law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak. In other words, he's talking to the weak, those who have a weak conscience. I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all men so that by all possible means, love this, I might save some. Paul gave up the right to do all kinds of legitimate practices as not to offend others in order to win them to Christ or help them to grow in Christ. Listen, when, when Paul was talking to a, a Jewish person, he, he could talk all day about his Jewish heritage. When he was talking to a Gentile person, he had the ability to relate to them not as a lawless, godless person, but as another human being. So I want you to follow me here, okay? Paul didn't give up his Jewishness when he ministered to Gentiles, but he also didn't require a Gentile to become, a, to become Jewish before he talked to them. You see, what I love about Paul, that's what I love about him, is Paul build bridges, not walls. He built bridges, not walls. He had a heart to win people to God, to Christ. 
Look at the text. Let's go back to the text there uh, at the end. Look, let's look at the end of verse 22 because I want to point something out. He says, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. Now, let me tell you what Paul's not saying there. Paul's not saying that you have to become a drug addict to minister to drug addicts or that you need to become a thief to minister to a thief. He's not saying that. What Paul did was he would identify as closely as possible with all people. In other words, what Paul would do, he would, he would understand their culture, understand their background in order to direct them to Jesus Christ. You see, Paul, get this now, Paul himself would adapt to the circumstances, but he wouldn't adapt the truths of the gospel to the circumstances. In other words, this is what I'm saying. He would change the method all the time, but he would never change the message. And that's what I love about Paul. Paul did the things he did, listen now, for one purpose, say, say one purpose, that he might win souls to Christ. That was his purpose, that he, would, might, that he might win souls to Christ. That was his desire. That was his goal for living, to win others to Christ. So question, friends. This is now, friends, question. Is that your heart's desire? Is that your heart's desire? Do you really care if the lost are saved? Do you have a burden for the lost? Are you willing, listen now, to, are you willing to inconvenience yourself? and submit to God for the souls of others. Paul did. Paul was that kind of a person. And boy, might we be more like Paul. Verse 23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul says that he would yield his own rights. He would yield his own rights and give up his Christian liberties in any way that would further God's work. All for the sake of the gospel. Isn't that awesome? So we see Paul here in the text defending his rights, surrendering his rights, winning souls, and, and the fourth point is this, winning his race. Write that down. Winning his race. Now, you know, if you study Paul and, and you read his epistles, you know that Paul often used sports analogies, right? He always would refer to the Christian walk in life as running a race. Well, we see that here. Verse 24, do you not know, verse 24, point number four is winning his race. Verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? So they run, you know that. But he says this, but only one, say one, gets the prize. Only one gets the prize. Then he says, run in such a way as to get the prize. So here Paul uses the illustration of the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games uh, uh, are very similar to, to the Olympics, our Olympics today. Uh, the Isthmian, Isthmian Games were held every two years, 10 miles outside of Corinth. And what Paul's saying, in the race, in that race, only one person is a winner. There's only one first place. Only one, Paul says, gets the prize. Then he goes on to say this, verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Say that, strict training. This is speaking about discipline. Say that. It's about discipline. 
training your body, training your body and abstaining from all that might in any way harm or hinder your physical condition. Okay, you, you get your rest, you eat good, you don't stay up late. Okay, you take care of, of your body. You go into strict training. And it, what it does here, it carries the idea of mastering yourself instead of giving in to impulse or overindulgence. In, indulgence, excuse me. It's denying our legitimate rights, denying our legitimate rights in order to gain a mastery in the game. So let's read on. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Someone saying amen. The award for taking first place in the Isthmian Games wasn't a solid gold medal like, medal like we see in the Olympics today. It was a crown of flowers on your head. It was made out of parsley or some kind of uh, plant. So in about two days, that crown is wilted, and, and it's dry, and it's, it's perishable. It's not going to last. That's, that's what Paul's driving at. It's, it's, a, it's a perishable, temporary crown. And Paul points, Paul's point is that as Christians, we can serve in such a way, act in such a way, and live in such a way that we can have an imperishable, eternal crown, a crown that will last forever. Now, I want you to keep in mind, friends, that Paul isn't speaking of salvation here, but rewards. The Bible speaks of five crowns, five crowns, the crown of life, the incorruptible crown, crown of rejoicing, crown of righteousness, and the crown of glory. Again, crown of life, the incorruptible crown, crown of rejoicing, crown of righteousness, and crown of glory. Five crowns. That being said, how, how should we be training now? How should we be disciplining now? Listen, listen, how can we get this? First? How can we as Christians be indifferent towards God and the things of God? How can, we, how can we be like that? How can we be indifferent toward the Christian life? Yeah, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. No big deal. I'm just kind of just cruising, man. You know, it's, you know, I know I'm going to heaven and that's cool with me. No, that's not the attitude. That's not the attitude, friends. The attitude is, yeah, I'm training. I'm disciplining myself to run the race God has called me to run. To what? To get a crown that will last forever. I'm in training. I'm disciplining myself to run that race to get the crown that will last forever. Look at verse 26. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. In other words, Paul doesn't run wildly in all directions. He runs with a purpose. He's fixed. He's focused. Then he says, I do not fight like a man beating the air. He's not just doing shadow boxing, okay? He's really hitting something. So Paul, you know, notice here, Paul shifting metaphors from a race to now boxing. You see, for Paul, every punch, get this now, every punch was to be meaningful. Every punch landed on its mark. Every punch counted. And this is what, what Paul is driving at. Paul, Paul, this is what he's driving at. Paul so lived his life that everything he did counted for eternity. Got it? 
Verse 27, the last verse of the chapter, Paul says, no, I, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not fighting like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, this is what he says, I myself would not be disqualified for the prize. He's referring here, he's referring to the flesh or sin nature which was housed in his body, right? It's the old person, the old man, the old woman, okay? The flesh wants its rights, right? The flesh wants its rights. It's always rearing its ugly head. You see, the way Paul kept his sin nature down was to discipline his body. Literally, this says, I beat my body black and blue. In other words, Paul dealt harshly with his body, which wanted by nature to be lazy, by nature to be slothful, indifferent, and even rebellious. And so he had to put the body, the sin nature, to death by severe discipline. You see, he made his body his slave, not his master, but his slave. Therefore, he didn't give in to the cravings and desires of the flesh. Got it? By the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul, listen now, would dominate his body and not let his body dominate him. If you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. Running the Christian life. Get this now, running the Christian life sometimes calls for radical mortification of the flesh in order to be effective for Jesus Christ. Listen, friends, if we want to run the race effectively, serve Christ effectively, live for Christ effectively, then we must daily crucify the flesh, crucify the old nature. Got it? Put it to death daily. Now, let's go back to the text there. Read the last, of verse, the last uh, part of verse 27. Paul says, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Let's, let's read the whole, actually, let's read verse 27 together again. Now, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, listen, Paul wasn't afraid of losing his salvation. He was afraid of losing his credibility. Got it? This is why Paul wouldn't indulge. He wouldn't indulge in anything that would hurt his testimony or keep people from coming to Christ. Got it? So here's the lesson. And the lesson is this. Very simple, very practical. Is run your race. Run your Race. Write that down. Run your race. Let me ask you, are, are you running the race God has called you to run? Are you doing that? Are you disciplining yourself, training yourself to run the race effectively? The truth is there are some Christians who, when it comes to the race that God has set for them, they're not running the race, they're strolling. They're strolling in the race. They're just kind of just strolling, you know, just casually just just walking, you know, it's no big deal. There are those who are who who are sprinting 
And they're sprinting, and, and guess what? They, they just gas out, and they stop running the race. Then you have those who are not on the track in the race anymore, and they're in the stands, and what they're doing in the stands is they're watching everyone else run. Some people are, some Christians are not even running their race. They're running someone else's race. Listen, stay in your lane. Got it? Stay in your lane. Let me ask you this. What's holding you back? What's holding you back from running the race God's called you effectively? What is it? Are there some things in your life that's holding you back that's running the race effectively? Hebrews 12, 1, write this down. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, listen to what he says. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run perseverance, the race marked out for us. What are the things that you need to throw off? Are there some sins in your life that are sins in your life that are easily entangling you, keeping you from running the race effectively? Hmm? We need to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We need to run the race and run the race and finish well. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Say amen. We are called to a race. And we need to stay in the race. Don't quit. I know that in the race, life gets hard. I get that. Life is tough, but don't quit the race. And stay as qualified as you and I, as we can, to serve God. So that when all is said and done, we might echo the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 4.7, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us um, the opportunity to dig in your word and to learn to grow, to be inspired, to be motivated, to be encouraged, and Father, to be convicted. I pray that we would continue to support the ministry, share the gospel, and run the race. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Whew, amen. Perhaps there's someone who's listening right now and you've never given your life to Jesus. You never surrendered your life to him, but today you want to do that. And if that's you, if you're listening right now, if that's you, I want you to, to bow your head, Close your eyes, and I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I invite you to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior, to save me, to change me, and to cleanse me of my sin. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord, and I believe within my heart that God raised you from the dead. I receive you this day. I'm saved, sealed, sanctified, satisfied, justified, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am born again. 
Thank you, Jesus, for receiving me. From this day forth, I will live for you faithfully until you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if you said that prayer, we would love to hear from you. And you can uh, email us at contact at cryout.org. That's contact at cryout.org if you made that decision. Again, we would love to hear from you. Hope you enjoyed the message. Don't forget to run your race. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Have a wonderful Sunday, and I'll see you next week. God bless.